Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. We're all heading this morning into part seven of a nine-part series titled Upside Down. And what we're doing in this series is we're walking through eight very intentional statements that Jesus makes right at the beginning of his most famous and his longest recorded sermon, a sermon that we find recorded for us in Matthew's gospel account. It's been dubbed the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you haven't been here for every week of this series, I would highly encourage you to get yourself caught up at, at grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, uh, wherever it is that you grab your podcast. But these statements, uh, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, these statements that we're exploring in this series, they come to be referred to as the Beatitudes. And as we've joked around in this uh, series, uh, Beatitude is a word that exactly zero of you have ever used in a conversation, but because y'all pay attention, uh, you know that this term most literally translates translated, it means blessedness. But, but it's so much more than, than favor or, or happiness. It's, it's underscored by God's grace in the life of those who earnestly seek him. That is that the type of blessedness that Jesus is referencing here, it's, it's unattainable through our own efforts. You, you can't earn it. It's reserved for those who truly follow Jesus. And in that way, there's very much a divine component to, to the blessedness that the Jesus is referencing. It's a glimpse of heaven, what, what life was supposed to be like before we started ruining our lives and, and the lives around us through, through our sin. And, and as such, when, when you compare it to all that you and I experience during our time on this earth, even all that comes natural to us, these statements do very much feel upside down, and, and hence the title of the series. So, so without a doubt, Make note of this. There is an implication as Jesus walks through these statements. The, the, the implication here is that you have decided to truly follow Jesus. See, in our American context, we, we've really muddied the difference between believing and, and following. As we make note of often around here, uh, believing in Jesus just really isn't that hard. In fact, Jesus would go out of his way to make the standard by which we get that right standing back with God, often referred to as righteousness. He made that incredibly simple. You simply have to believe. You have to place your trust in Jesus. It is by faith alone and in Christ alone. But believing in a guy who successfully predicted his own death and resurrection is incredibly easy. It's simple. But following is hard. It's why actually the longer that Jesus was on this earth, the more that those big crowds would, would sort of dwindle. Because though the miracles and, and what Jesus was doing was pretty captivating, the, the teachings were often really hard to hear. Because, well, nobody was, was exempt. Under the new standard that Jesus would usher in, I mean, nobody made a passing grade. Jesus made sure that we all understood that we are all sinners in desperate need of God's grace, that, that, that unless he got involved, we, we all would have been in a lot of trouble. He, he wanted to make sure that you and I understood that, that he isn't a mascot who we kind of conform into our image, who we pick and choose our way through, but rather he is our Savior and our Lord. And as such, we follow him right into his upside-down kingdom. 
So, so every one of these statements mean we lay down our flesh. It means that we lay down a part of ourselves. We, we, we forego what would come natural to us, that there will be sacrifice involved. But over and over and over and over again, Jesus reminds us, hey, it will be worth it. Because with Jesus, it's always better. He, he always has something better for you. And if you're watching right now, you're just like, man, I, I don't know. I, I find that hard to believe. Remember, he would willingly exchange his throne in heaven. I mean, the highest place of honor, the highest place of praise for, for a cross on this earth, something that was reserved for the worst of the worst. He, he would exchange his life for, for your sin. I mean, that is how for you he is. And, and, and so he tells us, hey, you want that better life? The, the, the life that, that your soul has in fact been yearning for? The, the, the life that all of you were hoping to find at least initially in, in a place like this? You, you want to be truly blessed? You, you want to live into that blessed life? He says, hey, here's the roadmap. And, and so beatitude number six of, of eight, it goes like this. J- Jesus would say, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, I, I kind of want to begin with, with the end on this one. He, he says, for they will see God, because it, it's quite a bit different from, from the other Beatitudes. For instance, some of the other ones read, hey, blessed are those who mourn and they will be comforted. And it's like, okay, that seems reasonable. But blessed are the merciful, for, for they will be shown mercy. It's like, okay, again, I can get my head around that. But, but here he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And it's like, Jesus, I don't know if you realize this, but that seems, <laughs> that seems like a bit of a bold claim. But, but come on, when you think about it, isn't that why you're here right now? Why, why you decided to watch this morning? Why, for those of you who continue to come back, why you keep coming back? Right? right? You want to see God. I mean, I mean, initially, right, you just want to know if he's real, but, but then you you want to learn more about him. You, you want to know more about him. You want to see God. It's, it's actually something that God very intentionally placed in, inside of you. That, that, that God-shaped void, it exists inside every single one of us. That void that, that we so often attempt to fill with such cheap, worldly, unworthy substitutes, but, but they always end up falling short. And in fact, for a lot of people, it's that falling short that, that led you to even again tune in this morning. And I would tell you, you're not alone. That that yearning, it, it exists inside every single one of us. To return to a quote that uh, we've actually referenced several times throughout this series, Augustine in his famous text, Confessions, he says, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. It's one of our most primitive desires. We, we want to see God, to know more of him, to experience more of his fullness. It's, it's why I return to his feet day after day after day. It's why we never arrive in our Christian walk. There's always more of him to experience. There's always more of God to see. But, but you see, what, what so often happens in our pursuit of God, and every single one of us have experienced this, no matter how long or short you've been at this church thing, but what often happens in our pursuit of God is that our pursuit of God often gets polluted. It gets manipulated. As we pursue God, as, as we long to be more like him, in, in Christian terms, we would refer to this as justification, and, and this is next to impossible to avoid, uh, something strange begins to happen. 
In an ironic twist, while the outside, that, that is our behaviors and our actions, our, our, our lives, can end up looking rather godly, you could even say it looks rather pure, that the inside, our, our hearts, can become pretty dirty, even rotten, you could say. See, a strange thing happens as, as we clean up our lives. We begin to feel in, entitled, Right? And, and you don't need to be a church person to understand this. This isn't a Christian thing. This is actually just a human being thing. The minute that you clean up something in your own life, it, it starts to look absolutely disgusting in the lives of others, right? Like you get your finances in order and, and suddenly anyone who carries an ounce of debt looks like a fool. You, you finally kick that smoking habit and everyone else who still smokes is now utter filth. You, you take control of your addiction to your phone and suddenly someone playing on their phone in traffic is a domestic terrorist, entitlement and judgment and arrogance very quickly flow in. I mean, almost startlingly fast, like, like it's almost immediate. So, so while the outside, that is your outward appearance, might suddenly appear as white as snow, the inside is getting more and more rotten by the day with all of its bitterness and, and its arrogance and, and its judgment stewing. I mean, after all, you're following all the rules. Why doesn't everyone else begin to follow the rules? Jesus had a term for this, by the way, and, and he called it out constantly. The, the, the term, religion. See, religion is where you behave the right way, but inside your heart is actually more rotten than, than when you got introduced to this whole idea of God and following him. Religion says that you can earn your way to God. It, it implies that, that you have something to offer to God. That, that your right behavior gets you a right standing. For, for instance, if you've ever felt guiltier about missing church than, than gossiping about another person, that is religious thinking. If you've ever justified your, your, your rather loose spending habits because you also happen to sponsor a compassion child, again, religious thinking. If you've ever excused lashing out on one of your kids because you happen to regularly serve at church, again, that is religious thinking. And as it would turn out, and this is actually what Jesus is getting at with this beatitude, uh, if Jesus is going to choose, he will take a right heart over right behavior 100% of the time, no contest. Because he knows that, that a right, or, or you could say a pure heart, will very naturally lead to right behavior. It, it won't feel forced at all because it's an overflow of the heart. And it always goes that way, but it's not always the case when you lead with right behavior. Too often, as we just made note of, right behavior actually leads to the opposite of a right or a pure heart. It leads to all that stuff that you and I have absolutely come to despise, loathe about places like this. Why some of you have found it to be extremely challenging to come walking through the doors of, of a place like this in the first place. But because the last time that you showed up to a church, all you found was judgment and, and arrogance and, and belittling attitudes, that, that filthy stench of religion. You discovered, don't miss this, you discovered that the places often meant to represent Jesus here on earth looked nothing like the Jesus you read about during his time on earth. See, religion says change and you can join us. And then once you find yourself a part of the club, once you find yourself a part of the in crowd, you get to sit on your throne of judgment to all the people who haven't gotten their acts together yet. And, and, and if you're sitting here today and, and you're watching and that's been your experience, I am so sorry because that is not 
Jesus. In fact, Jesus loathed that type of behavior just as much as you, probably more than you. Later on, actually, in, in Matthew's gospel account, Matthew's biographical account of the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus would actually go on this rather long diatribe to those very religious people. And, and he would allow statements such as this to very intentionally come flying out of his mouth. He, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, he's not holding anything back. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. If you're reading that for the first time, you're wondering, okay, what exactly does he mean like that? You're a smart person, you can track with this. Jesus is saying, I care way more about a right heart than I do right behavior. Get the heart in order, and the behavior will very naturally follow. Again, religion says change and you can join us, but Jesus says join us and you will change. Religion is all about the rules, the do's and the don'ts. But but Jesus comes along and and he makes it all kinds of simple. He says, hey, just follow me. And, And as you follow me, I will inevitably rub off on you. Your heart of stone, your your heart of flesh, your heart of selfishness will will actually slowly start to look like mine. And before you know it, that there will be parts of you that start falling off that that you didn't even realize were problematic. You didn't realize were hurtful. You didn't realize were self-serving. When I first started following Jesus, it was back in like my early college years. Uh, At that point in my life, I was obsessed with how I looked. Uh, I am clearly none too concerned about that now. Uh, I've told you all funny stories about wearing Prada sunglasses and Louis Vuitton wallets and Ralph Lauren polos with popped collars. I mean, it was like all that stuff. But but once I started to truly pursue and follow Jesus, like actually have a relationship with Jesus, he, he, he began to strip that stuff away. And keep in mind, he didn't lead with, hey, you're wasting so much money on clothes and accessories that that you could be giving to the poor. No, no, no. It was a lot simpler than that. See, I began to understand more deeply God's love for me. That that God just loves me because, because I'm his kid, regardless of what I wear or how I dress or what I look like. And so slowly but surely, I started to give that stuff away. I started selling some of it on eBay. I started to live simpler. I became more and more obsessed with what God thought of me, and naturally, I started to care less about what others thought of me. Now, this is worth noting. Uh, There were many other, I mean, a lot other glaring sin issues in my life at that time. But, But that's not where God wanted to start. See, God wanted to start with my heart. More specifically, my identity. No longer found in, in other people's opinion of me, but, but what in what he already declared over my life when, when he died for me. And from there, admittedly, other changes started happening as well. I, I saw exaggerating for what it was, which was lying. I recognized how my sarcastic and belittling tone often hurt people, whom, people whom Jesus, by the way, saw fit to die for. I stopped getting drunk every weekend, and not because, don't mix this up, not because the Bible said, thou shalt not get drunk, though, though it does have words about that. But, but again, that, that's religious thinking. 
Now, I stopped getting drunk because a sober mind was a more attentive mind to the workings of the Holy Spirit in and around me, and that's the kind of mind I wanted to pursue. In fact, it was just this past Sunday. Um, I, I was laying in bed with my wife. Uh, Sunday night, we're kind of like recapping the weekend. We had just come back from a long vacation, and that afternoon, as it would turn out, uh, we ended up going on the boat again, like we'd just been living on the boat for the better part of two weeks. Our kids still wanted to go out and go swimming more, and I articulated to my wife this like nagging conviction that was just weighing on my heart, that, that, that I'm still not as present with my children as, as I ought to be, that, that I'm still saying no to the requests of, of my kids too much. Very specifically, what had happened actually that afternoon was uh, we went out to a deeper part of the lake and the kids were swimming and, and my daughter, Logan, was asking me over and over again to jump in the lake with her and I, I just didn't want to. It didn't feel that warm to me. It was kind of cloudy. I just didn't want to get wet. I, just, I didn't want to get in the water. And so I just kept saying no and no and no and no and no. And eventually she just stopped asking. And so that night I literally laid awake in bed. And I just like, again, just this, this feeling of like, why would I say no to that? Like she, she's seven years old now and she's not going to ask her dad to jump in the lake with her forever. Now, now where did that conviction come from? It's a changed heart as a result of following Jesus. Like, y'all, that's not a sin issue. I don't think I, I was sinning against God by not getting in the lake, but, but it's being more and more conformed into the image of Christ. Church, Jesus didn't come to reform the, the manners and rules of society, as, as too many Christians seem to think. We have to stop asking non-Christians to abide by, by Christian standards. Rather, Jesus came to transform the hearts of sinners like you and I. See, the heart is is who you are. In in the secrecy of thought and feeling, when when no one else is watching, when the only one who knows is you and and God. And and Jesus is teaching us here that, that, that who you are in the invisible root matters even more than, than what you are at the visible branch. Early on in in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible, God very clearly reminds us that the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is entirely unimpressed with your right behavior if it isn't the overflow of a right heart. It hasn't always been this way for me, but now as I follow Jesus, my right behavior is an expression of gratitude for what Jesus has already done for me. Overcome by the fact that the God of the universe would get off of his throne in heaven and die for me. It's like, I want to please him. I want to make him happy. I want to do what he wants me to do because I trust that it's better for my life. I trust that he has my best interest in mind. As we often say around here, Jesus isn't in the behavior modification business. He's in the heart transformation business. As too many of us have experienced, when you you reduce following Jesus to to following the rules, it gets old so quick. At best, you become a pious jerk who sits in judgment to the people around you. And, And at worst, you become a jaded, wounded, former Christian with a very distorted view of who Jesus actually is. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And to get in on this blessedness, it begins with, number one, you, you got to humble yourself. 
It, it isn't until you see yourself as a sinner that you will see a need for a savior. The, the, the thing that unites us here as, as the church, and not just here at Grumlaw, but the Big C Church, is, is a group of people who have collectively come together and recognized the fact that we are sinners in desperate need of a savior. And you can't have a pure heart without first recognizing that, again, you are a sinner in desperate need of God's grace. And for some of you, you've maybe, again, heard this for a long time. Maybe this is literally your first week tuning in, and you're like, I'm ready for that. I recognize that I'm desperate. I recognize that I can't get it together on my own. Again, the standard by which we get that right standing back with God is incredibly simple. Again, it's by faith alone and in Christ alone. And it could be as simple as you right now, wherever you're watching from, bowing your head and just saying, Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot get it together on my own. But, but I believe in the saving grace that is represented through your son. I believe that he came down to this earth and paid the ultimate penalty for my sins. And so Jesus, come into my life. I repent of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. From this day forward, I am choosing to live a life according to you and your word and your principles. That from this day forward, I commit Jesus to following you. And we're told that just like that, we're back. Just like that, by by humbling ourselves before the living God, we get that right standing back. Number two, we we follow Jesus. As we've already said throughout this series, believing is easy. In fact, some of y'all just experienced the simplicity of that right now. There's like a party going on up in heaven because you decided to finally put your faith in Jesus. You get to spend eternity with Jesus. But make no mistake about it, Jesus is far from done with you. He has so much more for you. He loves you way too much to leave you in the messy state that you found him in. That pure heart, it begins by humbling yourself, but it continues, it lives on in this life as we make a commitment to singularly follow Jesus. As we said last week, get obsessive about following Jesus. Purity in its most clear and literal meaning is the idea of something being singular, unified, unmixed, consistent. That the pure in heart are focused from the inside out on one single thing, following Jesus. He calls the shots. He isn't merely our Savior, but also our Lord. You discontinue playing the, the spiritual hokey pokey where you kind of put one foot in and the other one out. I'll follow you here, but not so much over here. No longer do you treat God like a guest at your Airbnb where you got certain doors locked and there's a padlock on this closet. It's like, okay, God, you can go in this room, but you can't go in this one over here. God, you can have control of my marriage except on Friday nights. You can have access to my parenting, but not my finances. No more. Instead, you sign the mortgage over to him. He's the owner, and as such, you begin to take your cues from him. And that motivation, don't don't miss this, that motivation, that purity of heart, It comes from an overflow of what Jesus has already done for you. It's not obligation, it's it's adoration. It's like, my goodness, he's already shown how for me he is when he died for me. What else might he have waiting for me? And then three, we're promised, you will see God. That is, watch how the presence of God begins to overwhelm your life. Watch how God shows up and shows off in your life. 
I've made mention of this many times. It's a very frequent thing where people approach me after a service, after a video shown, you know, and they'll come up and they'll say things, you know, rather lamenty, like, I mean, how, how come God never shows up like that in my life? And, and, and with a balance that I try <laughs> to usher in of, of truth and, and grace, that there has to be that moment of like, well, you're, you're not really following, are you? Can you really look at me and say that your singular focus is Jesus? I mean, for a long time, that was me. And it's like I had to look at myself and say, why would God show up like that in my life? I'm not exactly opening the doors for him. Start following, taking bold steps of obedience in accordance with the promptings that he lays on your heart. Remember, right behavior becomes the overflow of a right heart, not the other way around. And you do that, you will see God. Well, last week, uh, if you were at our Heartland campus, you will surely remember this. Uh, there's a guy by the name of George who, at 89 years old, went public with his faith through baptism. And while it was a beautiful story and a celebration that day, uh, what we didn't get as much into is kind of the backstory that uh, he has a daughter, Christine Collins, who has been a part of this church for, for a long, long time. Uh, I know a few people who, who are purer in heart than Christine Collins. Through all the days of her life, she's just kind of said, God, what, what do you want for me and my family? And just laid it all out. And, and no matter what God asked him to do, whether that's, whether that's stepping into a role as a children's director at a brand new church, or whether that's, hey, you're finally empty nesters, and now God's asking you to foster and adopt. They've just laid it all out and said, God, you know, if you want us to do it, we will do it. And, and for most of her adult life, she, she has been praying that, that her father, George, would come to know Jesus in a real and a personal way. And last weekend, she got to see God. The favor of God just continuing to be poured out on her life because she earnestly seeks him with a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good, that you are kind, that you are gracious to us. We thank you that you've already done the heavy lifting when you sent your one and your only son to die for us on, on a cross so that we might have the opportunity to get that right standing back with you. We, we apologize, God, and we repent when our faith can be just so incredibly fickle, but we thank you that in those moments, you don't look at us in shame, you don't scold us, you're just this kind, gentle father who's just saying, come on back to me, I have something so much better for you. I, I pray, God, that we would be a faith community who are marked by our, our fellowship of you, not just believing, but the fact that we just follow you wherever you lead, whatever you're prompting us with, trusting that again, the God of the universe who would die for us has our best interest in mind. We thank you that it's always better with you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.